my name is Nick Gillespie. I'm the community life pastor here at Covenant Church. Uh, we are kind of dropping in again to, uh, into this community life series, uh, kind of smattered throughout the year. Typically series kind of run beginning to end, you know, you start and begin kind of week, 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 week. Uh, but with this community life series, we kind of wanted to, throughout the year, press back into what is biblical community? What does the Bible tell us it is? And then how is it that we as Covenant Church are called to live it out together? Uh, the very first kind of uh, installment, you could say, of the series was kind of taking a look at how is the church formed? That the church isn't just a building. It's not a group of people that come together and enjoy coffee, although we might not do that. The church actually is spiritual, that the church exists because Jesus gave his life and in that way has brought in a people to himself, that the church exists within the person of Christ. And then the second kind of installment of this uh, series was this uh, idea of sharing, that we have all been given different spiritual gifts, that God has made us with different uh, personalities and different abilities, and then there's spiritual gifts. And we are expected within the church to actually use these things. The church isn't like just a couple of paid staff, a couple of elders or some like leaders that make things happen, that actually each and every single one of us has a vital role in building the church of God that will exist for all eternity. And you are invited by God to participate and contribute to that. And this morning, what we're going to take a look at is how does the church grow with this idea of sharing the word together? So how do, how do we both individually, but then also how do we corporately grow? What is necessary? Now, personal confession to start my, I thought starting my sermon would be good if I just kind of confess a little bit of my own humanity. I struggle with envy. I struggle with envy with my neighbor's lawn. My neighbor's lawns are like super green and mine is like sort of brownish, greenish brownish, something like that, you know? And so I really, I really, really want a green lawn. Uh, I want it to be thick. I want it to be like healthy. I don't want it to be weedy. You know, I want it to be vibrant. Uh, I want it to be able to kind of withstand like the hot Julys that we get here uh, in Bowling Green. And my lawn just like doesn't cut it. It is, uh, it's pitiful. Now that's not because I don't try, okay? I do try and I've put in a lot of sweat and a lot of finances into trying to, you know, have this healthy lawn. You know, I, I'm on the four-step, like, uh, fertilization, like, process Midwood has me on, you know? And I, and I do it when they tell me to do it, you know? I don't delay. You know, I aerate my lawn. I dethatch. De- if you've ever dethatched your lawn, you know that's work. I've dethatched my lawn, man. Uh, I've done all these things. And it's not vibrant. And so I go into, like, the Midwood guy, and I'm like, what is going on? Like, I'm doing these, all these things. I'm checking your boxes. And he just asked me, he said, do you water your lawn? Now, talk about missing the obvious, but no, I don't water my lawn. (laughs) I just figure the skies will do that, right? I don't water my lawn. And so he's like, if you don't water your lawn, how do you expect for your lawn to have what it needs, which is aqua, you know, in order for it to like actually grow? And I found this to be true of the Christian faith, right? That we can really get caught on the additives. We can get caught into all the other things that we try to you know, navigate within the church and our spiritual lives, and we can miss the very thing that God has provided that is necessary for us to actually transform our spiritual lives. First Thessalonians chapter 2 says this. Paul uh, is speaking to this church that he planted, 
And uh, what he's doing is he's writing a letter back to them, and he's kind of recounting for them how they actually came to be and how they actually uh, experienced the impact of his ministry. And Paul says this, and he says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accept it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. And so just keep that scripture up there for a minute, uh, please, Robert. Um, so what Paul is saying is that him and, you know, his group came and they presented a message and the Thessalonians received it. And he's saying that when they received it, they didn't receive like this message, this human message, but they received it as if it was the very words of God to them. They received it as if it was God speaking to them. And then he goes on to say that it's this very word of God, which is the thing that is at work in them spiritually. It is a word of God that is actually at work within their spiritual person to bring about spiritual, eternal life. And so what we're going to look at today is that the word of God is the active and transformative ingredient in our spiritual growth. Therefore, we share in the word together. So we're going to take a look and define what this word is. We're going to talk about how does it transform us, right, and then how is it that we share together. We're going to see that this, uh, this word is a singular ingredient, that this ingredient is applied robustly, and that we need a kitchen of chefs right, to prepare the meal. And so as you can see, my illustration is going to be very food-focused. So if you're not hungry now, you will be by the end of the sermon. So I've got a self-reflective question for you. How do you make yourself known? How do you make yourself known? How do you reveal who you are to others? Well, it's not enough just to show up someplace. I mean, I can walk in here and you can see me. That doesn't mean you know me. In fact, many of us have had that experience. We're in a group of people and we feel invisible. Isn't that interesting? I can be seen around people and yet feel invisible. That we reveal ourselves through our words. That I let you know who I am when I speak to you, and you let me know who you are when you speak to me. When I don't want to be known, I don't speak. And when I want to be known, I speak. Well, how does God reveal himself to us? We know nothing of God. We know nothing of God unless he tells us. Now, I can look at creation, I can look at humanity, and I can infer some things. God might be like this. God might be like that. But I don't know God unless he tells me who he is. And just as you, through your words, reveal yourself, God, through his word, has revealed himself. He makes himself known through his word. John chapter 1, 1 says this. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John here capitalizes the word. That the word isn't a thing. It's not just a book. It's not just written words. The word is a proper noun. The word is somebody. He says in verse 14, a couple verses later, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us that God reveals himself most fully in the person of Jesus Christ. That God didn't just give us an encyclopedia of all of the truths about ourselves and him, but rather he came as one of us to live among us in real space, real time, real history, with real flesh, where he 
acted and did, he also taught and spoke and ultimately put himself on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. That God reveals himself through the enfleshing of himself through Jesus Christ. And so any of our pursuit of knowing God for who he is must culminate and end in the person of Jesus. It's all about discovering and learning about who Christ is. And then we are given this text, the Bible. Now Christians have traditionally called this the word too, and rightfully so. In this sense, not that the text replaces Christ, but the text is the historical, traditional, accurate narrative of who Christ is. That how do we know who Jesus is is that we search the scriptures that God has provided his church that we might get to know the real Christ, the real Savior, the real Messiah. And so as we approach the scriptures, it's important because it informs us of who the word is. So again, if we can track a couple thoughts, how do we grow spiritually? Through the word of God. What is the word of God? It's Christ. And we get to know Christ through his word. And this is the way I, it, God reveals himself to me. Now, as I open this thing, I can fall into one of two ditches. All right? One of two ditches. First, that we can pursue a Jesus, but Jesus without the Bible is a caricature, and the Bible without Jesus is a carcass. That Jesus without the Bible is a caricature, and the Bible without Jesus is a carcass. Lots of people claim Christ. Lots of people claim Christ. But it is the biblical Christ. You know, we, uh, we see caricatures all the time, right, in politics. I mean, basically any kind of you know, caricature of a politician is like their worst attributes somehow depicted on... You know, Donald Trump is not that orange, you know? A little orange, but not that orange, right? The comb-over is bad, but not that bad, you know? Not a tidal wave, you know? So in the same thing, like, Jesus, if it is not in the text, in the scriptures, then Jesus just kind of becomes some sort of distorted Messiah figure that props up my own personal agenda or our cultural narrative. Jesus becomes who I want him to be to support my own agenda or the cultural narrative I want to listen to. When, in fact, maybe Christ doesn't quite support the things that we support, the way that we perceive that he does. And so he searches the scriptures to find the real Jesus, not a caricature, but the real him. And yet, the other side of the ditch is this, and I've been here too, is that the Bible without Christ, without Jesus, is a carcass. I, I, personally, personally, I love the word. I love reading the Bible. I thoroughly enjoy it. But I have gotten so lost in trying to understand it, trying to figure out the verb conjugations and the original language, trying to make all the cool connections and stuff like that. You know, you study Revelation and you've got like the charts and stuff. And that's all good. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that necessarily, but we can get so lost in the text that we lose sight of Christ. We forget that the text points to Christ, supports Christ, paves a way of living in and through Christ. And so many times I've hit dry spots in my own study of the scriptures because I've lost sight of Jesus. So for those of us who get in the word, are we getting it to discover Jesus? Because that's who it's all pointing to. All right, so our spiritual growth is about this one ingredient. It's about Jesus, you know? You could say Christianity is like a one-trick pony. It's Christ. Um, but this ingredient, though, applied is robust. How we get in the word all right, is robust. Uh, my wife and I, along with some of our neighbors, a couple years ago, we started an annual chili cook-off. Uh, here's some pictures right here. 
And so in our neighborhood, it's super fun, uh, mid-October, I'm in this open invitation right here because we always make so much chili that none of us can eat it all. And so about 15, 16 of our neighbors will make their own like spin on like chili and then the neighborhood just kind of walks around and eats each other's chili. It's fantastic. Um, and watch some college football afterwards, you know. Um, what's interesting about chili is that there's something that makes chili chili, right? I mean, something distinguishes chili from enchiladas, you know, that you cook it for hours in the crock pot or the protein in it or the spices, whatever it is. Something makes chili chili. And yet there's hundreds of different ways that you can make chili. You know, my one neighbor who's super into hunting, he always finds a way to like get his deer meat into his chili. I'm from Cincinnati, so we have made Cincinnati-style chili, which when people actually vote for their favorite chilies, it's never on. It's terrible, but I'm from Cincinnati. I'm proud of it. You know, my, uh, our uh, friends from the south, from Florida, they always make the spiciest chili served with jello shots. Someone's reliving college glory days um, at the chili cook-off. You know, our, uh, my one neighbor who's from the north, his is always a sweet chili, and on and on and on and on. And so while... It is Christ, and there is a Bible. The way that we apply it to our lives is different. It's not always the same. It's not static. Paul says this to his protege, Timothy. In 2 Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of the season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So what Paul is saying is that the church is to preach the word to one another, to preach the gospel to one another. And that's not just this way, me to you or the pastor to you. We preach the gospel to one another as we live life together. One, Paul says that the word is necessary. Right? So he says you always, you constantly need the word. You need the word in season and out of season. I used to work at a uh, private um, golf club down in uh, Virginia Beach for one summer in college. And, uh, you know, whether it was the rainy days in May or the super hot, dry days in July, the sprinklers went on at the same time every single day, whether or not it rained from the heavens or not. They got something I didn't get about having really green lawn. Um, but, it, it, you know, they watered it every single day, whether they felt they were in the season of saturation or not. And for us, again, we need the word every single day, whether or not we feel like it or not, whether or not we feel like we're really spiritually healthy or really spiritually unhealthy, we always need the word. But then the word also needs to be dynamically administered to us. Paul doesn't just say you just talk about it. He said there's these different ways that you approach each other with it. I'm going to define them here. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Reprove means to, uh, means to expose or to convict. It's like holding a mirror up. So while the word shows us the real God, it also shows us the real us. It shows us our spiritual condition. I don't know my spiritual condition if it wasn't for God's word. It tells me what's really going on with me. I mean, it's kind of interesting, right? I can't see my own face. You can't see your face, you know, unless you have a mirror or like someone tells you, you can have a big booger on your like face, on your cheek, you know, and if you don't feel it, then you're walking around all day like with that thing on there, unless someone says, hey friend, (laughs) there's something right there you might want to deal with. And so in the same way as believers, with God's word, we show each other who we really are. And this is not an an act of unlove. This is an act of love. Any of us who have kids, we correct, or sorry, we uh, let our kids know, you know, who they are and how they ought to live, that they can know 
who they really are. So we were proved by opening up the scriptures and helping us understand each other. But secondly, we rebuke one another. We correct each other. I don't really, within my own self, my own nature, I don't know godliness. I don't know the, the holy way that God desires for me to live. And so while I then get to see myself for who I really am, I'm also corrected on how I ought to live. This is why the Bible would say it's a lamp to our feet, that it shows us how to walk through life. And so we rebuke one another in love. We correct each other in love. And lastly, we exhort one another. Exhort gets at motivation. How are we to be motivated as we walk through or into this godly life? Exhort is to ask earnestly, to invite or to encourage. Sometimes I know exactly who I am. And sometimes I know the right thing to do, the thing that God wants me to do, and yet I won't do it. And so I need community, brothers and sisters who are pleading with me, Nick, do what God is calling you to do. I need them to plead with me, Nick, do what God is asking you to do. But then also scriptures, there's all kinds of invitations. I don't know what I'm invited to, to approach God for my needs. And so within community, we help each other see the invitations of God. We're invited to God for salvation, for wholeness, for love, for forgiveness. All kinds of invitations. And then last week, encourage one another. That we run into places where we feel hopeless or down. We feel like we're at the end of our rope. We feel like maybe we don't hear God. God's not there. And so we need our community, brothers and sisters, through the word to encourage each other, to stay with it, that God is faithful. The famous John Newton who wrote The Amazing Grace said this, he said, my grand point in preaching is to break the hard heart and to heal the broken one. That the same word can break the, the heart of a proud person to soften it that they might be receptive to God will also heal the brokenhearted, that it be a balm to their soul, to their heart. And so we do the same, friends, as we preach the gospel to one another. So I want to kind of pause and ask you a couple questions. How do you need the word of God today? As you come into this room and you consider yourself, how do you need the word of God today? Do you need to see yourself accurately? Do you need to be corrected? Do you need to be encouraged, exhorted in some way? And do you have a friend that has a need? Is there a person next to you? Or someone in your life that needs the word of God applied to them. All right, so for spiritual growth, we, we need Jesus who is accurately uh, told to us in the scriptures. We apply the scriptures one in one another's lives in a robust way. But lastly, we need a kitchen full of chefs preparing meals. That the Christian life is most exciting, community is most exciting, again, not because there's one person that preaches at us, but we actually open these things and we learn and discover it together. It's called a brigade system kitchen. I googled it. Brigade system kitchen is where you have like the cuisine chefs and you have the sous chefs and you have the chef de parades that slice up all the uh, vegetables. If you've seen ratatouille, think ratatouille. You know, this robust kitchen where there's a lot of activities. You have people that have different experiences. Some are experts, some are on their way, you know, but they're in there together, getting their hands dirty and making delicious food. And in the same way, we approach the scriptures not just to 
learn some things or have a Bible study. We open these things so that we transform each other's lives and we interact over it and we contribute to one another in a vibrant way. That's what God has called us to do. I am terrible in the kitchen. I cannot cook. I cannot cook. Well, I can cook some things. I can make pancakes, you know, things like that. I need Allie, my wife, you know, she does like all of our, our meal prep. Um, just last week, and I had promised a bunch of our community group leaders, hey, I'm going to bring, we're going to have a training, I'm going to bring some like appetizers, which really meant Allie was going to make appetizers for me to bring. That's, what that, that's how that goes. And so I said, Allie, help me out, I need you to make some appetizers. And she said, yeah, like I'll do that. I'm like, hey, let's make a date of it. Let's go up to Costco together and we'll shop together. And so we go up to Costco, and, you know, I'm the support staff, and she's really kind of making this thing. You know, she's got her whole list and the meal and all this kind of stuff. I failed to communicate to her that there was a budget. And so as she's pulling things off the shelf, I'm like, can't get that, you know, can't get that. I'm frustrating her, right? And she's like, what, what's going on? I'm like, that, that's over budget. She's like, what's this budget? You didn't give me a budget. I'm like, there's a budget. And so anyways, I, I frustrated her, and so much so that she's like, I'm done, I'm out, and she left me. And I'm at Costco all by myself with a cart, like one-third of the way full. And what am I going to do? I know nothing. I can make no appetizers. None. So I'm like Googling appetizers. I'm too proud to say I'm sorry. So I'm actually Googling appetizer ideas and trying to find stuff in Costco. And then finally, Allie like, came back like 20 minutes later. <clears throat> she said she was sorry. Um, <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> she said, I'll have mercy on you, is what she said. And so she, you know, got the rest of it. But I don't know how you feel about approaching, like, the Bible, but maybe some of you feel like my wife, you know? You're like, I've been around the kitchen before. I've made some meals. I know what I'm doing. I understand this thing. And some of you might feel like me. You're like, I've been in kitchens before, but I don't know anything. The thought of opening this thing, the thought of reading this thing is so overwhelming. It's so intimidating. Where do I start? What do I do? You know, how do I make my way through this? The fact is that if we're going to grow, you know, together, we need people like Allie and like me in the kitchen together, right? If you think about it, like every, every business, every established business at some point in time brings in consultants because they need an outside perspective. They've been established, but they know that they don't even, can't even see their own blind spots. They can't even see the things that they're missing. They bring in a consultant to come and give them a fresh voice, a fresh perspective, Right? In the same way, those of us who are new to the scriptures, I mean, we bring a fresh voice and a fresh perspective, maybe within our own generation, of how these texts impact and apply to us. Emotionally, I think we, new people that are new to the scriptures bring a lot. You know, it's been 20 years since I first opened this. I was 18 years old when I first opened a John 1.1 and started reading for my own because I kind of got to the point where I'm like, I want to discover Jesus for who he really is and not who I hear a pastor preaching about. And so in 18, I didn't know what I was doing. I just started reading through the Bible. And what was cool but also hard was that like I was encountering this Jesus for the first time with my very own eyes and it was like invigorating and exciting. And yet I was also super confused. Why did he do this? Why did he say that? What does that mean? I had tons of questions, more questions than I had even started the uh, John with. And yet, it was invigorating. And when I, even though I've been reading this thing for 20 years, when I get around new people who are just opening this up, I get excited to see their excitement. I love listening to their questions. And not jumping in and trying to answer them all. But what questions are they asking? What are they looking for? And we, who have been around this thing, we need people who are young 
and new to the game. And just like every old business needs consultants, every new startup needs mentors, right? Every new startup needs mentors. I mean, someone who's going to start a business would do well to grab a mentor and say, help me chart a path. You've been here before. You've walked the road. When they hit points of discouragement, help encourage me. Why should I not quit or give up? And so those of us who have been around for a while, we know we need to step in as mentors, all right, to help and uh, aid others along the journey. Just a couple weeks ago, I was with a young man who, he's been uh, walking with the Lord for a couple years, but he's now picking up on his Bible reading. He's like, I'm so confused with the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament. That's a struggle that the church has wrestled with. And I said, have you ever heard of this concept of redemptive history? He's like, I have no clue what you're talking about. So let's talk about redemptive history. Cleared up a whole lot of questions for him. And so those who are new would do well to grab a mentor and say, hey, help me put some pieces of the puzzle together. So what am I asking you to consider? I'm asking you to consider rolling up your sleeves and getting into the kitchen, no matter where you're at. Rolling up your sleeves, getting in the kitchen. And that's, again, not just here. It is in community groups, sitting with others and opening up the text and reading and learning and talking and dialoguing, not worrying about who's right and who's wrong, but learning to listen to one another and engage the scriptures together. And this is vibrant. God will do something. The word of God will come alive in and through us. So if you're a consultant, if you're a novice, I'm asking you to to have some courage because there's some fear, some trepidation about entering into a new group and opening this thing up. And yet it's going to be so good. And we can't get away from the fact that God says that this is where life is. This is where spiritual health and vibrancy is. And those of us who are mentors, those of us who have been around a little bit, can we be patient? Paul says to Timothy, teach in patience. Can we slow down? Can we make our groups and our Bible studies accessible to people? Can we let them enter in at the zero entry level that they can begin to engage and interact with the scriptures with one another? And it takes us to be patient in that way. So I want to ask you another set of questions. Are you drinking from the source of living water? I think that's the most and first important question. If you want to spiritually grow, are you tapping into Christ? Are you in his word? But then also, are you in his word in community? Because God didn't make it just you in the Bible or you in the text. He made it you and all of us together with this text. And so would you engage in this text in a transformative way? What's so cool about the Christian faith is that we were not meant to stay the same. We were not meant to stay the same. God wants and desires for us to grow. John Newton, just to end with one last quote from him, he says, I am, I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I'm not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. You are what you are. We are what we are. So let's get in the kitchen together and cook. The Word of God is the active, transformative ingredient in our spiritual lives, and so let us share in it together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we approach you with this realization, God, we would not know you if you did not speak. And thank you that you have spoken, that you've spoken in the most realist of ways that you have become like one of us. Lord, would we pursue you, Jesus? Would we come after you. Would you show yourself to us, God, and would you grow and transform us spiritually, that you would strengthen our faith until we reach glory with you. God, would you teach, instruct us as a community how we can do this well. 
a full kitchen, God, is, is messy and it's hard and there's communication misses and things like that. And yet, God, we know that there's life there. So instruct us and teach us how to enter in together. Amen.